First question, Paul. What is Karismaki? Well, Karismaki is the kind of legend of contemporary, kind of new world vibe Finnish cinema that he changed the nature of the depiction of the nation in a way from being traditional to a kind of almost experimental form that's become the norm, much like Truffaut did in in the 60s and the 70s and Goddard did with... with, Fellini. Yeah, and all those with French and Italian cinema. It's charismatic in Finland. Again, 10 years behind, 20 years behind Europe because... Finland is. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been there, haven't you? I have. So and we'll talk about that later on because I've got a few questions about that. And it's a great country and I love it. And I, I love that kind of like that it's a bit stuck in the past, which is partly to do with Russia and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and so his films, and, and equally Finland is a unique country. So, for example, uh, one of the things, they don't do small talk. <laughs> but they don't do small talk in real life. No. Uh, and so, and again, Karazmaki has picked up Nails beautifully. It. So that uh, his, his characters just don't do talk. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, co- uh, literally, they do not give. <laughs> <laughs> Combined with a very serious Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the whole nation has a very serious drinking problem. You've, you've nailed it there. I'll add, uh, before I, actually, I ask my next question, there's one crucial, crucial word, actually, that you haven't mentioned, and this is what Kurismaki is to me. Droll. Mm. If you get that, if you like that, you will get him and you will like him. It is at the it is the fundamental block of any of his films. I would love to see. To, I mean, we, we're going to look back at all of his films he's done, uh, but obviously, inevitably, a few times we're going to say, "I wonder what he's going to do next," and things like along those ilk. Um, the three films we're going to talk about from Carrie's making are "Take Care of Your Scarf," Tatiana, Yuha uh, or Juha. I'd say you have. You have, I'd say as well. And Drifting Clouds. So uh, three very, very different and yet similar films. Uh, let's start off with Take Care of Your Scarf, Tatiana, which isn't the best of the three, but it's my favourite. Mm. I've got a lot of time for this one. Uh, in this one, it's, it's essentially a road trip. Uh, a Finnish guy who's living with his mother uh, has to, he goes out to get some more coffee. Um, he then meets up with his friends who meet some women. You go on a journey, have a bit more coffee. They don't really talk to each other. They don't really dance. One of them then stays with one of the women, and then the other one goes back to his mother, and that's the film. Mm. Utterly fantastic movie. With lots of drinking. Lots of drinking of coffee in it, and other forms of, of, of spirit too. Did I actually imagine that this film had a scene where he actually drove through the window of a coffee shop to mm. order a coffee? He did. Like, utterly brilliant. Mm. Like, this film... It's just teeming with humour. It's, it's, it is droll. There's not a lot of dialogue in it. It's not particularly exciting. But then again, neither of his films, any of his films aren't particularly exciting. And in fact, one thing we need to say about Kurismaki films is that he just chooses the same people in it. And if one of them dies, rest in peace, Matthew Pellampa, wonderful actor, one of them dies, they replace him with another actor who will then appear in all of his other films. The one who appears in literally every film, pretty much, is uh, Cathy Utinen. Uh, she's in this one, and she's very, very good in all of them this, this time, but particularly in this one as well. She's the facial actress, isn't she? She is. She's a lot of eyes mm. and a lot of kind of frowned expressions, like the Finnish people you've so adequately described. With a bit too much makeup. With a bit too much, yeah. <laughs> Slightly too much makeup looking, and the, the clothes are atrocious, old fashioned, and everything. 
But what I've literally described this film is what this film is about. And yet it's so much more better than that. The humour, it's a very, very, very funny film. Like all the films, nothing happens in it, but you're engaged. Something keeps you engaged with it. Yuha, moving on to, and you can come back on all these yourself, Paul. Yuha is, we've seen lots and lots of movies who want to replicate the silent era of films in the modern day and fail miserably. Now, your favourite film over the last 25 years, The Artist, did it? <laughs> God. <laughs> Said with no irony at all. God. Um, I, I, certainly compared to, I, I didn't mind The Artist, but certainly compared to this, this is one of the true success stories of replicating the black and white era, the silent era more specifically, because of course Take Care of Your Scarf Tatiana is a black and white film too. Yuha actually nails the facial acting. Uh, Andre Vilms comes in for this one, who then appears in, in some of his other ones, including La Havre, which we'll talk about another time. Yep. Uh, he is, as the, as the villain of the silent film, he is majestic in this movie. He's laughing, he's, again, his eyes, all the, perfor- all the performances are great in it, but he stands out as great. In Yuha, again, it is some sort of a road trip. It is an escape from where you are now, looking for something better, which fits into all of, all of his films, basically. A farmer's wife is essentially seduced by a city, sli- a city slicker, played by Vilms, who then enslaves her in the brothel. She eventually escapes the brothel, returns back to her home in the countryside. And you can have some of that in Take Scare Your Scarf Tatiana, and you can also have that with Drifting Clouds, because the themes that run throughout all of his films, class, the sense of belonging, but more importantly, home. Now for all of it, you might, you might watch these films and thinking, God, they're so miserable. God, they're this. God, they're that. And you'd be absolutely right. But there is no doubt that Aki Kozmaki loves his country. He loves the people of his country. He loves everything about his country. Even, yes, there's vast unemployment. Not many opportunities. The weather isn't great. Generally miserable society to live in. But he, he adores his country and everything about it. And that, come across, that comes across in his film, Try Another City. Try Another Country. You'll always end up coming back to Finland because it's your home. It's where your heart is. Mm. In Drifting Clouds... It's again similar cast, to the, except we've got the, we've got a Carrie uh, Vakanen this time mm-hmm. coming in as the, and it's a couple who try to live through various forms of employment. She worked in a restaurant that gets overtaken by some bigwigs, and then get, and then gets uh, she loses the job that way. He loses his job as is he is he a truck driver? What is he? I think he is bus driver. Bus driver. He's a bus driver. He loses his job. She's she works in the restaurant. She loses her job. Uh, and then it's all about both of them trying to get back into work. This is the, this is known as one of his masterpieces. This film, it is probably the best film on this list, I would say. And I would even say it's probably even the funniest film in this list. It is slightly longer, but it's got more room for humour. Therefore, it is hilarious. People falling over into into wardrobes. Lots of physical comedy as well as the actual lack of small talk. Do you want, do you want to go to bed? Okay, fade to black. Just absolutely spot on. Yeah, no small talk. No small talk at all. This uh, you but, get the feeling they don't even do foreplay. Yeah, the, <laughs> no, well, you really don't, do you? You really don't. Like, the, and then of course, so the, the, the very successes trying to get to work again in the, in drifting clouds. 
they eventually get yeah, some sort of a restaurant again and, and but it's actually quite it's actually quite more structurally Hollywoody this one it's more normal so to speak but by the end you are willing the new restaurant to succeed you want everyone to have their life sorted again these are a brilliant brilliant trio of films I enjoyed revisiting them every second of them what more can we say than people just need to, that, that, that or a lot of these films are in collections of their own so you can and they're quite cheap as well people need to check this stuff out down the pool just the, 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 the beautiful the beautiful need to explore your country's faults say uh, like the Japanese do and countless others I know from being from this country I'm going to present to you the very worst of what I've had to grow up in in fact he himself was a postman and had very other small jobs before in this and that comes across in his films he's able to present that point of view pitch perfectly whilst still live, loving and living his country mm. in these movies. They are all truly outstanding. They are, and I think it's always good to see a director who portrays his country with affection yeah. at every level, and he loves its people, even the kind of like the most miserable person in the country. He, he loves them. Even the people who sack, the, who sack hundreds of people at once. Yep. He, yeah, he likes it, yeah. And, and I think it's nice to see a filmmaker making films about a country... That every that nobody knows anything about that is different, yeah. but actually captures it in a way that's original and witty and sophisticated, and and I think the the British parallel and in a way that that shows how different he is is Ken Loach. Yeah, Ken, <laughs> I knew but Ken Loach makes films that are political about poor people because he has a viewpoint and he yeah. wants to change it yeah, yeah, yeah. so that yeah. their lives are better. Yeah. Charismaki. It's not about changing it so that their lives are better. It's a pure acceptance of it is as it is. And it's and he doesn't condemn them for that. And he doesn't praise them for that. It just is. And it's kind of like there's so much history in there that, that affects that, that he doesn't cover. But again, if you're finished, you get it. You know, you've got to remember Finland is the poor Scandinavian country trapped between Russia, threatening to destroy it every time. And the affluence and wealth of Sweden, Norway, Denmark, the neighbours, yeah, yeah, and the kind of the, the kind of apparent poverty culturally and financially of Finland, but actually it's as rich as those countries, but in a completely different way. Uh, and and he loves that about the country, and the, all these films capture that. And he's kept at it. It's very interesting that he has a brother who's a filmmaker who makes a lot more kind of light-hearted yeah, right. commercial films, which actually are more light-hearted, more commercial, and I suspect his films make more money in Finland. But he, he stays in Finland, whereas Karasmaki, and again, it, it's, it's, a, it's an indication of his genius, not only is he out of that kind of nouvelle vague change in the way cinema is, but he's then affected a change across the rest of Europe, so the rest of Europe tries to make charismatic films. That's right. So a lot of Belgian directors yes. make kind of like charismatic light films, and, and there's certainly a without nailing the humour, exactly. they, they are useless. And, and there's some French ones who've tried to copy yeah. charismatic, German ones, and Spanish ones as well. Not so much British because we're crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the true genius of the guy, and he, and he stuck to it. And so even all of his films now. Uh, right up to La Havre, was that his last one? Yeah. 
Uh, although he did make what, a random one in Portugal in 2012, a little thing in Madeira, but that's, oh. I don't think that counts as one of his feature lenses. No, right? I agree. So it's a lot harder. And, and so and they're still at the core of that. And one of the great things is he, he, he has great admiration for the nature in which the working class, I was going to say survive, but it's more than that. It's that, A, that they have the courage to get up and just keep living. Yeah. When in fact, and it, it doesn't deny that, it's unfair, it's unjust, things are horrible. But actually, it just sort of says, well, you know, it's just good to be alive, even if it means I'm just going to get pissed out of my head. Indeed. Out of out these three, what would, what would you say is well, your favourite? I, I like Drifting Clouds, because I like his use of colour and settings. Because, again, he does that kind of very, almost Hitchcock thing. Yeah. You know, if you watch a lot of Hitchcock films and you look at their sets, you can see that they're cardboard-painted, and often badly drawn backdrops. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, if you watch Marnie, for example, there's a bit where he's in the docks, and they've got this giant ship in the docks, and it's a really badly drawn one, and that's mm-hmm. the point. And Charismaki catches that much better in colour, and, and I think it, it adds a lot more of a claustrophobic nature to it once he moves inside. You, her, and that. There's, in his road trip movies, he likes to go outside. Yeah, yeah. But I like the claustrophobic nature of... Because he sees family as a great thing, but also a totally destructive thing. And it's that two things at the same time. He actually says family is more of a restriction than society exactly. itself. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's both. And, and it, but he recognises it's a great thing. But it's an awful thing. And he's not saying I'm, I'm one or the other. It just is. Yeah. And, and so I think Drifting Clouds is, is great. And I love the, the kind of way he mutes colours, but they're so bright at the same time. Let's move on to crime and punishment. And one thing that Kozmaki likes to do is take a classic novel and play around with it. And uh, that's what he does with, of course, the Dostoevsky's novel of the same name. Here, a worker from a meat processing plant kills a random businessman, which leads to a bit of cat and mouse between himself and the police, all the whole while trying to find purpose in his own life. As we so often said, it's always interesting to see a director's first piece, which is what this is. This is Kuzmaki's first film. As it enables us to see kind of experimental decisions and mistakes that you would think he would never seek to repeat again. Um, and that is the case here, but for opposite reasons, because this is a highly polished film. It's quite long. It were, it's narratively quite structured, and there's lots of dialogue in it. The only Kuzmaki film that fits any of these criteria. What and the irony being is that most directors strive for this kind of thing. Kuzmaki does the complete opposite after this film. Um, so you know, this is this is this is a timepiece, an actual timepiece of Kurosaki doing a Hollywood-style film, which is fascinating to watch. Um, but for me, the the good side to this actually is this is for me probably the only Kurosaki film where we see his true colours, because I believe he is the murderer in this film, someone who doesn't believe in heaven, someone who detests business, particularly modern Finland, someone who feels isolated and alone. Someone who feels, not contempt for humanity, but just boredom of life. I think he's the murderer in this story. And I think, he, yeah, the performance is very, very good. And I think the film is very, very good. Well, I, I've always enjoyed all of, of Charismatic's films. But, yeah. And that's the thing. For example, like you're going to say to me, talk about Hamlet Goes to Business. I have no idea what the plot was. And I, it, Neither did Jackie. And, and so I, I couldn't describe any of them. So, in fact, but they're an experience. And I think they're a very Finnish experience. And I think, like you say, Crime and Punishment was the first film. And it was a lot, it's a lot more conventional than the others. But actually... 
uh, you can see how he's developed on from that, like almost the eradication of dialogue, of of kind of like narrative to some extent in any key meaning, and also the the kind of negation of acting, yeah, uh, which again is a very very interesting thing that he does, and and they're almost like vignettes, yeah. Of of a camera just put in front of people, doing very little and thinking very little, and drinking a lot. Indeed. Well, it, just just briefly <laughs> briefly mention Hamlet goes business for. Uh, there's a lot of music in it, is there? There is indeed. And, and I think again that that's another thing that's taken over for a lot of them. And he's made quite a few documentaries about about music as well, like which uh, we'll be talking about next time. Uh, the Lenny Grad Cowboys. Indeed. So. Uh, and so uh, I can't even remember what Hamlet goes to business about. Tell me, what was it about? I've forgotten. It is even though I saw it yesterday. It is interpretation of Hamlet. Yeah. And basically, what he did was well, he uh, he flicked through it on set and kind of adapted it on the spot. Um, funnily enough, Paul, this is a film that I I've never really got on with with him. Why? It's just a little bit pointless, and that sounds ridiculous because all of his films are. <laughs> I'd say it's a bit pointless. That's not um, a fair criticism. But uh, it, it, it's just. But, but but there's nothing there's nothing here of of him really. Mm. It is literally him taking Hamlet and making it finish, mm. um, which is fine. But there's no humour. The humour doesn't work. But what the worst thing for me is, and actually there's not enough rock and roll music for one thing. But the thing that really annoys me actually with this is that he's he has always been so perfect with casting. Hamlet is a very, very average actor here. I don't know anything about him. I don't think what he did after or before. But he's not got the presence that Pelhampar, Uten, and, and all those other and Andre Legends. Films and Andre Films for crying out loud, which we'll yeah. talk about many, many times, and we have done already. Those that 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 triangle, if you will, that kind of supported charisma throughout his acting, throughout his directing career. We've got so much presence. I thought the Hamlet character really, really struggled. And yeah, there's a few random scenes where, for example, because the Hamlet goes business, they've modified it so Hamlet is in charge of a was it a rubber duck company yeah. or something? Yeah. And it, and it, and there's all the, the the same kind of murder happens that that happen in Hamlet. I'm I'm, I'm reasonably shake, clued upon Shakespeare, um, and yet it doesn't that really puts your one up on me. It doesn't even take that to any kind of interesting level. So it just doesn't really work for me. I, I would say. But then um, you can see, and I think what's interesting is is he's learning. For what then becomes his trademark, like in *Crime and Punishment*, there's a lot of dialogue, yeah. and *Hamlet* goes to business. It's it, it, it's 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 not an original story, no. and he's playing with it, but he's also playing with that idea of like making it up as he goes along, and then you move on to like *Calamari Union*, which is I think the first one that's really his kind of film. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, that that's not about the business; it's about him being a true auteur. And well, creating. I mean, this is this is in my top three. I mean it. It's a road trip film, Calamari Union, where a bunch of guys called Frank, except for an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator who's called Pekka, the only being that the English speaker's got a Finnish name and the non-Finnish the, the Finnish speaker's got English names, they all desire to travel to the island of Era on the promise of a better life. They all die, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is probably, and I, and, I, and I did think about this, it is actually the funniest film I've ever seen. It's a tribute to classic Hollywood cinema and French cinema more, more, more so than anything he's ever done since, even though we're going to talk about one that was, again, one of those. Lots of rock and roll music, lots of death, lots of cynicism, but also in a sympathetic way, not in a necessarily a critical way, although that is there as well. It's, 
I just love Calamari Union. It's totally brilliant. You've got your almost, not obligatory, but what I wish would be obligatory, driving vehicles through buildings things to get drinks, just scooters through the buildings and make any sense at all. Uh, be careful with your scar, Tatiana, we've already talked about. That, again, is driving a vehicle through a cafe window just to get a drink. Like, the need to drink, the, the, but not the need to talk. Comes across brilliantly in this film. Uh, this is... I, I completely take your point, and you can advance on this. This is his first auteur piece. Mm. And it wasn't even Absolutely. it wasn't even necessarily done that early on, mm. which is why we're doing these in random orders, if you will. Calamari Union, Paul? Uh, I, there's not a lot more to be said, really. And I, I think it captures... Uh that kind of the nature of his filmmaking so perfectly. I would say to start with this one, and if people get this, they will get everything yeah. else he's ever done. And, this and is that, your starting point. Well, and, and again, that's another thing to say, because if you if you don't get it, you, they're awful. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> and, and, and I think that's a key thing. So again, they are different. And again, they're different from any other kind of European cinema. Well, there's long bits with no dialogue that are pointless and meaningless, and it's just pictures of uh, shots of people drinking or sitting in a car doing nothing or wandering about. Or something floating in water. Or, yes, yeah. yeah. And so, and, and I, but I think, and it's a very difficult thing to explain, because if you've never seen an Aki Karazmaki film, and you then get to the core ones, Calamari Union, The Man Without a Past, even up to, like, La Havre, if you don't get it, they are the worst films yep. you will ever see in your <laughs> life. And and I think it's 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 easy to explain why he hasn't really cracked America. Because again, it has nothing that would appeal to a kind of audience that's grown up on American cinema. But he's got an Oscar. Uh, indeed. Which but we'll it, come on to. It, it breaks with everything. So tell us about La Vie de Bohème. La Vie de, la, la vie de Bohème. <laughs> Which is another classic novel. It's Murger's novel. And this has spawned many interpretations across the years. Uh, this is a very basic story. It's how a writer, a composer and a painter team up to try and succeed in Paris despite constantly battling everything around them. Which, Paul, you could pretty much say is every film he's ever done. Indeed. The, under, the underdog, if you will. The underclass. The working class. I think it captures Paris nicely. I think the black and white helps, but why not? It's Paris for crying out loud. Let's get it done. It's funny. I love, I absolutely love the the composition at the piano. With the and the guy does it. Does it, it, I'm not going to spoil anything about it. It's, just, it's on the piano. It, it kind of because you see the artist, you see the artist paintings, and they are quite crude and a bit naff. But it's Pell and Par being brilliant as always. Mm-hmm. You, you, you kind of have a little bit of Andre Wilms' magazine element, the writer. You see a little bit of that. But you actually, you see the composer's work the least. So you're waiting for him to come on screen and do it and, and show his skills. And it is the best scene in the film. It is absolutely hilarious stuff. It's well worth watching the whole thing for. But as, as is the film in general, it's got the romance of Paris. It's got the romance of the film. You get the love for not only... Each person has for the craft. You know that he loves painting. You know that he loves editing novels or whatever Andre Wilms' uh, character does. And you know that he lo- the composer loves composing. But they not only love their jobs and what they're trying to achieve in Paris, they love each other and they love the women in their lives, as few as they are. And it's just directed in a quite masterful way, Paul, really. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I couldn't say anything to add to that, really. I think... 
I think what's interesting is the use of music and other forms, such as art, in his films. He always has rock and roll in there. Yeah, and because always. because he's he, fits the era that he's trying to replicate, it, but also Finland in general. It's about a people searching for an identity. Because yeah. you've got to remember, Finland has only really existed since 1917, before and even was, then Russia stripped it bare it, of all exactly. its assets. It used to be so. part of Russia, and before that it was part of Sweden. Yeah, and, and it kind of like it doesn't really have its own identity, but they but it is separate. It's not Swedish. Equally, even in Finland, uh, Finnish speakers are kind of often second-class citizens because it's a dual-language nationality. And so music is, is often a key way of people trying to create an identity for themselves, which bizarrely is a music that's not even Finnish. Uh, it's this rock and roll stuff yeah. that, that they try and appropriate to kind of... And it's a people in search of an identity, which is what leads us perfectly onto the man without a past, which is, which is, which is a country without a past, Searching for an identity, and, and the man without a past is yeah. is a man who uh, he's um, sort of have to get on. He gets off a train. Yep. He gets beaten up. He, he actually dies. But he actually dies at the beginning. That's the point. Oh yes, he, got, he gets off the bed, and... and so, and again, it is one of his. It's one of the ones that has the most colour. Yes, and that's what's fascinating in the kind of set design uniforms there's lots of reds lots of blues which is a very unusual thing in uh, in in kind of charismatic films in finland uh, and so again there's virtually no dialogue nothing happens and he meets a woman he falls in love with her he's a salvation army suit indeed lady. and and again and it's the and so and it is it was worthy of the oscar that year and Absolutely. it's worthy of the oscar any year and it's an absolutely fantastic film. But again, it's not a particularly long film. and it, As if any of them are. And I would say, if you really just want to watch one charismatic film, uh, this has to be that's in Finland. Yeah. And again, charismatic is exploring what it is to be Finnish in Finland now through images, sights, sounds with the minimum of dialogue, and it's absolutely brilliant. You know what I mean? This is his most accessible, yes, by far. Yeah. But that is not, that's not a slight on it. Because one thing that I noticed, you know, just watching this one again, just to kind of refresh my brain, if you will, is what we, which is what we're both doing for all of this, is just that the writing is that much better in this one. Mm. Which isn't, again, it's not a slight on all of his other films, because all of his films are almost pin sharp. The better ones definitely are, but even his weaker ones are amusing at worst, funny at best. This this has got everything in it. In terms of pure screenplay writing, it's utterly perfect. Mm. Utterly perfect. The humour is just, just brilliant. Hannibal, the, the really aggressive dog, and which isn't. And just lots of little things that add up and add up and add up. It's a beautifully structured film. Um, it, it, it is. You know, it, it did win. It deserved to win. It, I, I, frankly, any director that I like, I don't care what film wins, as long as he actually has it in his cabinet, just as a reward. And at least this guy's won, but for the right film. And it can only ever be this film that won, frankly. Um, so, you know, the man without a past, you know, what can you say? And I think the problem that Karasmaki suffers is, because he, he seems to be making less and less. He is, yeah. Because of the nature of film is becoming about commercialism. Mm. That his, his kind of material is, is... And that's the 
a tragedy for cinema that actually he should be making more and more because he's he's actually now mastered it to perfection. Ariel, Paul, again, it's the, it's the underclass um, Matt, Matt Pelampar again. He, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love story. He gets arrested for beating having uh, a fight, and he just constant. The, the boat's called Ariel. He meets a woman, and uh, he wants to get out of the country. He wants to get out of Finland, take her with him, and the child. And uh, they have to get there first. They have to get to the boat. The, pr- the police are on his case. Which, you know, box standard stuff, really. But it, 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 this, this was the first film of his so-called underdog trilogy. But the reason I say so-called is because I've said all of the films are about the bloody underdog, in a way, mm. and the underclass. So, again, what, what, what strikes me about this film, um, more than, well, I'll say more than any other but this has so little dialogue in it compared to even some of the other ones that have got very little in it and this takes me back to when Chris Mackie said in an interview with Jonathan Ross that he, he used to be he, he was a scriptwriter before he became a director and um, he, the reason he doesn't do it he doesn't do it out of cynicism for the industry even he doesn't do it out of the hate or the love for anything in particular he does it purely out of practical use as a scriptwriter, when he used to take a script that was five pages long, they would always cut four or five pages out of it. So that he was left with one page of dialogue. And he is now, from ever since that moment of working that job, he has always been adamant that you just need a page of dialogue. Because that is all you need to get your point across. And this film does it immeasurably. Here, Matt, Matt Pennypart, we should talk about Matt Pennypart for a little bit, actually, because uh, he is, we've, t- we've talked about the triangle of the, of the actors that he always uses. Sadly, no longer with us. He died at four, he died at the age of forty-four. The moustache, the, the the broom handle moustache, if you will, just a quite, quite, quite fantastic actor in these films. He he, he's, he plays dirty people, clean people, innocent people, guilty people, funny, mean, aggressive. He plays romantic. He plays all of these people, and yet he's different every single time. All he has to do is give you that look. And have that moustache drooping down, and you've got yourself a Kurismaki film. So that is, that's... and you've got a Finnish man, uh, uh, indeed. And, but the other thing they're angry about Ariel, and again, it, it, we hadn't mentioned it, a, a, a kind of like the sea and the water, yeah, is, is a key thing in, in in both his films and and obviously in, in Finnish culture, you know, because the, the interior is full of lakes. Yeah. I think there's something like 10,000 lakes that are bigger than the large, some yeah. staggering yeah. figure. And plus, you know, the coastline is enormous. It's where most people live. It's where all the big cities are. And and the boat, and, and kind of like the dream of leaving Finland for something better, because it is, you know, it's a northern European country. It's bleak, yeah. it's miserable. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, kind of uh, meteorologically. And, and kind of like boats and, and what that hope represents but actually the love of your own nation as well. And it's that kind of like the desire to escape, but take it with you. Yeah. And so you're, what you're trying to escape from, you take with you so you don't escape it. But it's just that dream. And I think Ariel captures that perfectly. Let's move on to Leningrad Cowboys, mm-hmm. which, or sorry, who are a combination of some Kurzmaki favourites, members of the real Finnish band The Sleepy Sleepers, and former lead singer of UK punk band The Members. They are, they are essentially the finished version of Spinal Tap. There are two movies in this... Uh, there's two movies in a documentary. There's two movies. first one's called Leningrad Cowboys Go America. 
just what it says on the tin, they get offered a job. They get offered a job at a Mexican wedding. So on their way to Mexico, they try to earn as much money as they can in the States. After that, there's Cowboys Meet Moses, after, uh, which happens after the Mexican wedding. They want to return home. And there's some sort of a plot involving the stealing of the nose of the Statue of Liberty. The final part in the trilogy of Leningrad Cowboys is a documentary filming the real open-air concert celebrating the relationship between the Russians and the Finns as the Leningrad Cowboys performed in front of 70,000 people backed by a 100-strong Russian choir, Russian dancers, musicians, playing a mixture of uh, Russian and Western rock and roll. Now, Paul, one thing that I really hope we've kind of gotten through this is that it's as much as it is, it's also not a charismatic look, a, a loving, mm. because despite the fact that he's a great, not all of his films are great, and I think we've we've kind of been honest along the way which ones we've got on with more than others. I do not get Leningrad Cowboys. The irony being is that this is his, his most successful export, if you will, obviously because it's all in English, so mm. people can grab onto that. But you know, this ain't our bag, so we're not here to talk about that. Um, there's lots of humour, but it all feels very, very forced to me. There's obviously, it's tiresome, you know, obviously the thing about the Leningrad Cowboys is that they are spoofs of, you know, American rock and rollers, Buster Keatons, if you will. So they've got the quiffs. The quiff is quite big. (laughs) It's very, very straight and it's very, very long. So that, that joke appears all the time. When somebody dies, their hair is still perfectly erect out of the coffin and that you know the dog also has that the animals have them everyone they meet in the band around the band has this females do it and they play with that hair joke a lot all the way through and it just becomes a little bit tiresome there are some moments there are some decent moments i quite actually like the the music part Um, but as i read somebody else wrote for for it to be kind of a slander on shite western music they're actually very rather good. So it kind of takes out the illusion of, of them of them failing on their journey, really, because they actually get better and better as the film goes on. So I didn't quite get that. The second one, actually, um, Lenny Crabble's Meet Moses, fails even more, because it really doesn't have, for me, any kind of plot that I can get behind, I can enjoy. The whole Statue of Liberty thing is utterly pointless, utterly pointless, even for Kurismaki standards. Um, the only thing I've got out of that one, and this is to be recommended for everybody, is that Andre Wilms speaks English and he has a beard. And uh, <clears> we'll <throat> talk more about Andre Wilms later because we've already done some of his films, we've got some more of his coming up. Um, so it's nice to see him sing as well, which is quite funny. But despite me hating the first two, I loved the documentary. The documentary is called Total Balakada Show. It's a straightforward concert. Kurismaki added nothing to it. Other than fading to black with the next song title, the next song title, the next song title. Um, but it was great. The music works. It's a show. The Finnish people absolutely loved it. That comes across. They capture the crowd. They do everything that any standard concert film would do. Kurismaki just does it. He doesn't do anything different to it. He just does it. And it, it makes sense. It doesn't justify the other two films necessarily. But for Finland and Russia and what Russia means to them, which is quite strange because you think that a country that would strip you of all of its assets and kind of 
ensure that you are nothing more than a peasant country for the rest of your life, you would hate them. But no, there's actually a lot of respect in means of do not, for God's sake, ever invade us ever again. We love you. Come and sing with us. It's a, it's a great thing, that documentary, which links into what we've been talking about earlier on in this podcast. I'm curious about who, how you also got on with Leningrad Cowboys. Uh, I, I think it's brilliant, uh, it, it, partly because it is uh, an incredibly fun film, which is very, very rare in uh, Finnish cinema, let alone Akis. It Karen is, Mackie. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it captures that whole thing of Finnish culture. And again, this came out the year that the Berlin Wall fell of... Um, of Finland being terrified of Russia yeah. and loving America yeah. in, in, in kind of parallel to that. And again, and so then the documentary as well, which is made sort of four or five years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the total Balalaika show. Balalaika. That's right. Yeah, yeah the Balalaika show. Uh, is that merging, and, and it's a much more affectionate thing yep. about Russia, because it doesn't fear it anymore. No. Don't get me wrong, they still fear Russia quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And again, particularly under under Putin, they're, they're, they're scared. Keep your friends close than your enemies. Exactly. Yep. And I think it captured a country so unlike ours that is torn between those two things. And you get that a lot in Western Europe, this love of American stuff by intellectuals yep. because of the fear of the East... Uh, which I think is fascinating, which we don't really have. No, we no. don't have that fear. And so we, we so I can say even like a lot of a French cinema, Johnny Halliday uh, is, is a kind of a, a, a kind of rock and roll French guy who is basically a bad parody of Elvis in France, mm-hmm. singing French songs mm-hmm. like Elvis. And it's just a bit shit. Um, but it's linked to that kind of love of American. And so, like, even now when you go to, to Russia, there's these vast, not Russia, Finland, there's lots of these vast American cars yep. from this era that to us seem really odd. And and so I think it captured that era, that feeling and that emotion quite well and in quite a fun way, which is, again, is something totally unusual, particularly when you look at the rest of the films, in any charismatic film. So I'd say this is one you've got to see because it's English, it's much lighter, it has a kind of oddness that's quirkiness and a humour. And again, and I think that the joke about the hair is a bit a bit like the Finnish love of Americanism. It's kind of like they take it to such an extent it's ridiculous rather than yeah. actually having any link to who they are, and what they really think and feel. So yeah. I, I really like it. Which, are, are, the sense of ridiculous, ridiculousness <coughs> is fine, but yeah. what else have you got? Absolutely. Uh, it, 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 it just, I don't ever remember laughing out loud for this movie, and that, and that is such a shame, because they are ridiculous. Yeah, they are. You they smiled. Very, you uh, smiled. Well, it'd be impossible not to, <coughs> but it, is that enough, considering it's, it's his most successful thing? Like, <laughs> it, it, I, I just can't quite go over that, because we've seen so many better films that have just, just gone by the by, mm. but that's why we're talking about them. Quite mm. like and equally, he, he, he... But the documentary is fantastic. He's made so many films yeah. that actually it's quite nice to see him do something a little bit different. I mean, I, I, clearly... Despite the commercialism, if he didn't actually enjoy doing them, he yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. He would have stopped after the first one. Yeah. Or he would have just, you know, not even bothered with any of them. So, you know, th- that's quite clear. Um, Phil, Phil, Phil is in, we've gone back to, if you will, normality now. 
Shadows in Paradise. Uh, well, it's funny because I, I don't really remember much about it, except it, it's kind of much more in the tradition of Akikari's Mackey films. It's about a garbage man and a, a supermarket cashier who fall in love. And, 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 it, and you can work out for yourself, <laughs> Kata Utenen is the supermarket checkout girl. Yep. As she is in at least two other films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, I love... Uh, it's, it's very slow... But actually quite brief. It's only 76 minutes. It is a slow one, actually. Uh, it does feel slow. <laughs> and uh, it does seem to last an eternity. And, and it's got death and misery. And, and it, it's quite interesting because, again, it captures the kind of the poverty of experience whilst that desperate need for love uh, and the fear of death that's always there. And again, you know, given that Finland is, is covered in snow, or particularly in that era, was covered in snow three to six months of the year, and it is in the north all the time, pretty much, because, you know, it's in the North Pole, lots of it. Uh, but right down to Helsinki, which is the kind of metropolitan borough of the entire country, it's a bit like if if if, if Finland was the West Midlands and, uh, and there was just like the centre of Birmingham was the only place where there was any kind of city and it, it's quite an odd kind of place but it, it it's, it's a nice little film it's a lot slower than his usual ones and he's learning his process he's learning his craft and he's learning his identity and i think you can see that coming through and, I, and it leads nicely on to the future ones well he does but what's in what's why the most interesting thing for me about this is that he actually does exactly the same film in two films time mm. ariel is this. Yep. It is almost exactly the same. The need to go on the boat and escape to Estonia. <laughs> in fact, they even use the same dock, maybe even the same boat in this movie. The only thing that Shadows in Paradise does differently, and I do quite like this, is the class, the identity through class, particularly, the, and, the, and indeed, as a result of, the isolation of needing to learn English. Mm. I love those scenes of... I mean, Pelham Park can just read the yellow... Well, he could have read the yellow pages and finished and I'd have been quite happy. But he, when he's in that isolation booth, learning the language along with everybody else, and then his final scene is him speaking in Finnish, then walking out the class, is perfect. So it's always the need for something better, but then when you think you found it, you'd rather not. Mm. Mm. So that's why you never see them in Estonia, mm. because probably they'll get off the boat as soon as they get on the bloody thing. But I think Ariel's better. It's a little bit longer, but it's a little bit quicker, yep. despite that. And it's just a little... So really, when we say... I think the, it is the perfect... And if you, if you wanted to do this back-to-back, folks, you will see that Shadows and Paradise is the same as Ariel. Ariel's got a little bit more vi- a bit more verve, colour, that kind of thing. So out of the two, I would say Ariel's better. But again, watching him learn his craft. And it's not as if we can say that only these two work well together because mm. all of the films have the, all of these films, as, we, as we've said to you many times, have got similar things in them. Mm. Um, but now and again, Paul, you will come across even ones that stand out amongst all of these. So, would you like to briefly tell us why the Match Factory Girl, according to Kurzmaki, is quite quite okay? Yeah. Oh, well, I think uh, the Match Factory Girl is the third in what he called a trilogy. He yeah. called it the Proletariat Trilogy, yeah. uh, which is, gives you the kind of class area of Shadows in Paradise, Ariel, and the Match Factory Girl. Yeah, and and I I think I'm safe in saying that the Match Factory Girl is the first Kurzmaki I saw, and I saw it at the cinema. Uh, very. Quickly, for how, the, how, how much was the ticket? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was about a pound. 
that's that's pretty. I mean, because nowadays, of course, it would be eight pounds, which which well would, would be nowadays more, you'd never get to. See well, it indeed, there. indeed. But it's it's, it's only it's at an hour and eight minutes. Yeah. So it's not even a pound a minute nowadays, would yeah, it be? So that, absolutely. It, it, so it's just it's like, tell us. And, and basically, this it's about a girl who works in a factory. Pretty dour, dead end job. An actual match factory. Absolutely, she, she <laughs> makes his mac- matches. Oh, and by the way, it's Katy Utenham. <laughs> <laughs> in case you didn't. Who has a one night stand, uh, which she thinks is going to be the beginning of something. Which, but to the bloke, he thinks she's a prostitute. She gets pregnant, and so he doesn't. He just wants to get on with his life, so she just decides to take her revenge. Yeah. And, and so, but again, it's only sixty eight minutes, as you said. And it's a very, it's a fascinating little film. And I remember watching it in the cinema thinking this is not like anything no, you'll ever see no. in America. I know someone like Hal Hartley in America tried to kind of take on the kind of mantle of charismatic in America, but failed <laughs> uh, because he, he ended up having to have a narrative and story and plot that moved along quite quickly. And so uh, remind me how she takes her revenge. Poisoning. Poisoning. And so, it, and you watch it, and you you know what's going to happen, and you're waiting for it to happen, and it actually happens, and then and you see it, it. And, then yeah. it ends. and then it ends, <laughs> and then she gets it. Yeah, it is one of the better ones of his by a mile. It's brutally honest, very very engaging, and the the point about this guy is the film length actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's 68, 78, 88, 98 that he's done as well. Yep, he just crams so much into it. So what we've said is only what happens in the film. Literally that. You see her work. You see her, ha- you see her have a bit of or what she thinks is love. You see her get her revenge. She gets arrested. Four things happen in this film in an hour. And it is, it's like any great novel. And it's an anti-thriller as well. Absolutely. It, and, that, and that's what's so good about it. It's not like, you know, will she be caught? It's got, of course she's going to be caught. And, you know, it is, everything is it doesn't, it doesn't, inevitable. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't surprise you in any way. And by the way, I should say this is for me Carter Utenham's best performance. I think it's her best film, and this is, I think, above all else, in a lot, he, he supports the underdog in all of his films. But I really feel that he is her guardian angel in this film. Mm. He is telling her to do these things, encouraging her to undertake the actions that she does, and she does, she does, and the film is probably perfect for me. Mm. Really, really, is up there as one of the greats. Mm. Of uh, Charismaki. Well, and, and I think, you know, what we're going to talk about later... Now we've got st- still interesting stuff to come. But I think it is, because f- it's the first one I saw, and it made me want to see more Indeed. and follow his career. So I think that shows you the strength of it and why it made you go back to others and forward to see the rest. I hired a contract to kill a Paul. It's a film about a French man who loses his job after 15 years in the same company. He then loses all of his lust for life and pays for a contract killer to finish him off. But he then falls in love with a rose seller, and Henri tries to undo his request. What we should say about this pod is that it was shot in Britain. It was shot in Britain, and uh, uh, I think it's a very good film, it, mostly because of Jean-Pierre Lud. Lud, Lud, uh, and he appears in our final film this week. And he is, of course, Truffaut's uh, kind yeah. of uh, child in yeah. the Four Hundred Blows, and so. It's that kind of charismatic is putting himself fairly and squarely at the centre yeah. of European filmmaking. He is indeed. And I think so he's separating himself, particularly with this film, 
from a kind of Eastern European yeah. kind of filmmaking, which I think is very, very interesting. And he's moving away from that with the end of the proletariat one. He never leaves the proletariat, but it's a, this is a definite step towards being at the heart of European cinema, using a, a European star, a legend, yeah. uh, and then having it in Britain as well. So it's, it's a move towards the West. It's not America, but it's, it's the West, that's for sure. And it, it's, it had Margie Clark in it. And again, a lot, <laughs> a lot of people won't remember, Margie Clark was really big at one point. And she made she's a, a whole... She's a semi-beautiful woman. Uh, a semi-beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> so many women would love to be called that Indeed. a semi-beautiful woman they should be so honest uh, and, and it's quite funny because it a, it's a real flashback going oh, it's back fantastic. to this because yeah. again I saw it at the cinema not long after the Match Factory Girl it came out doesn't it capture the period of England so it, magnificently it captures what a shithole London is Indeed. Uh, so perfectly and again all those people who, particularly you know, when I moved to the Midlands of, of Britain, everybody always... Of course, because we're in bona fide paradise here. Everybody wanted to move to London, and I used to think, London is a shithole. Why the fuck do you want to move there? Uh, and so, and I still think that, actually. So uh, I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> because uh, I, think, I, think it's fair, I think it's fair class. Absolutely, absolutely. If you have ambition to go and live somewhere else, go and live in a different country. Just don't pick London. It's just a shittier version of everything else here. Uh, so, uh, but again, it's quite, a, it's a real flashback and Kenneth Colley is the hitman in it, <laughs> who is a kind of very Fantastic. strange, kind of <laughs> ill-looking man. They all look a bit sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, yeah, they look like <laughs> Londoners. They all look a bit sick. Uh, and so, and, and it's him, it's his attempt to try and cancel the contract through the kind of semi-derelict shitholes of London. I mean, the, the style of this film, and this is, this is I'm not sure if he'll probably slap me around the face for saying this, but this film reminds me of Clockwork Orange so well. Yeah. It just captures everything so perfectly that way. <laughs> Jean-Pierre is just amazing in this. He captures the part. He cap- having, this is his first, and not his last, but his first Kurismaki film. He just gets what it is to be a leading actor in a Kurismaki film, which is what Hamlet Guy's Business didn't do, which is what Leningrad Cowboys didn't do for me, although Pempar was brilliant in that. He does this just straight away. The best scenes for me are the ones in the bar when he's actually getting the contract killer. Yep. He has the best line in that film. It was a massive LOL moment for me. In fact, I laughed out loud in this film more than any of the cowboy stuff. It is just a remarkable piece. It's a remarkable accomplishment because it's got everything going against it, if you will. Kurismaki not having worked in Britain before, not having worked with the English language all that much, other than, of course, the, the you know the Leningrad stuff. So it's you know it just, it just you know the lack of dialogue. There's very very little of it, but what is there is pin sharp. We've talked about that working so well in the past, and yet despite the fact that it's it's in Britain, despite the fact that it's essentially a British story about yeah. you know British capitalism and that kind of thing, it's also got a French film, if you will, as well. There's nothing Finnish about it, but it's a Finnish film. It's Kuzmaki in Britain, and that is the point. And, and it had that moment, it captures a moment when there was, a, there was hope for British cinema as well. Yeah. That, they, that <laughs> yeah. they could make a different kind of film yeah. rather than either a heritage film or a kind of pseudo-bad American gangster film. And this, again, steps out of the mould that offers the hope, which obviously is quickly extinguished, much like the end of the film, uh, it just ends. Yeah. Uh, and so, it, 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 again, it, 
again because it's in, in English, and I think people could see that. And again, it's it's within a kind of Euro European genre of a kind of existentialist kind of filmmaking. That that again, this is this is an absolute must if you want to get into to this kind of charismatic legend. Indeed. Well, moving on to uh, his more, his more recent work, his two most uh, his two most recent films. Uh, both of which got plaudits, actually. First of all, Lights in the Dusk, uh, where a loner security guard essentially gets tricked by a femme fatale. He ends up losing everything. I can't say it's one of my favourites, Paul, to be honest, but what I am certain of is that this film delivers an insight into class probably better than any other film that he ever did, you know. Mm -hmm. Normally we see the underclass struggling on, and we've, you know, we've, all, we've mentioned that so many times. It's brilliant. You know, we don't, we don't get bored of it. But what we've got in Lights in the Dusk is, a, is actual a comfortable working class who have an aspiration to do better but don't have the means to do so, mixed with the middle class who are just bored, plain bored. And it's to that end that you get to see this because so the businessmen want to rob some uh, a kind of a, a mall... But the, the stuff isn't particularly great. Mm. And their, their apartment, again, the, 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 the businessman's apartment who's leading this operation, the femme fatale, there's nothing particularly... They're not particularly outstandingly wealthy. But, and and they're, they're, they're just sitting around playing cards, bored. Like, they are literally doing it for the laughs, for something to do, because there's nothing happening around mm. them. Mm. So, and, and that captures... This film captures the boredom of Finland's Quite amazingly, really, I'd say. It's a really... I think it's a really mature film, which he goes one step further in his next one. Well, Where he really wants... He's got a message he wants to get across about the middle class, and he does it. There's very little fantasy here, and there's nothing wrong with fantasy in his films. Hmm. Some of his... Most of his better ones, for example, The Man Without a Past, is a fantasy. You know, you hard the tribute to silent cinema, that, Drifting Clouds again. It's all got an element of fantasy. All of these have got elements of fantasy in. This hasn't. This is incredibly real. There's no humour in it, which bothered me about Cowboys, but doesn't bother me here. The lead performance is somebody who we haven't met up until this point. Uh, this, for me, is actually not, for once, a comic book finished person. Like Pelham Parr, as great as he is, it's not a criticism at all. I think we've gathered that what I think of him. This is a real, everyday Finnish man doing his job wanting to do better, but not able to do so. And I would say, I mean, you've been to Finland. He strikes me as the most likely of a Finnish person you would ever likely to meet. Mm. Totally normal. Mm. No outstanding character traits. No normal facial, no abnormalities in the face or anything like that. No humour. Just normal. And this is, again, this sounds like criticism. It's not. This is a totally normal film. Mm. And that is to its credit. It is to its credit, and I think it's very interesting, for example, if you watch this compared to, say, the, the Match Factory Girl, yeah. or even Leningrad Cowboys, because this is about modern Finland. Yeah. This is about the Finland that is less fearful and is actually just more about capitalist yeah. uh, kind of society. And, it, and again, it's not that it's critical, it's that it's a bit dull. Yeah. It's kind of like just being able to buy stuff is a bit dull. It's not about the kind of, in a way, the vibrancy of fear or the vibrancy of death or the vibrancy of actually having to create your world around you. And so I, I think I probably first went to Finland in about 2006. So uh, th this is the Finland I visited. 
which is which is which is a kind of borderline blandness because of that desire to be more American, but not being American, and they're doing it in their own Finnish way, with with nobody speaking to anyone and very quiet, yeah. very dull and ordinary, which is fine and fantastic. And he's actually he's not being critical of it. He's just sort of saying, well, this is how we are. And, you know, and if you want something different, we've got to do something different. But we've moved on from that kind of proletarian misery to a kind of another kind of dullness, which is kind of like better, but worse. And again, what more can you say? Socialism failed. Capitalism's failed. They've all failed. And we're left with consumerism. And again, at least we're not as scared or afraid but actually we're all a bit duller for it. And this captures that perfectly. Nothing else to do but have a take-out hot dog every night. Absolutely, which is what I try and do all the time. Well, you've succeeded quite well. Explains my girl. It does indeed. Uh, Paul, I've got a feeling that we're about to finish on one of your absolute favourites. We are, we are. And we have reviewed this, I think, in a, in a previous guise, or perhaps even in this podcast. And no, so no, previous guise. We've previous way, guys, way back. Was it? The radio God, guys, Paul. I didn't realise you've been doing this for so long. I know, it feels like I've known you forever. Indeed. Because I probably have. Uh, Lifetime of regrets. So basically... <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime of takeaways, in my Indeed, Anyway, yeah. it's about an African boy who arrives on a cargo ship as an illegal immigrant in La Havre. Uh, Where you've also been. Yeah, I've also been to <laughs> on holiday for do, a week. Do, do, you actually go, do you actually go on holiday where Chris <laughs> Mackey hasn't done films? <laughs> no, because actually one of his best acting roles is in Outro, which is a Belgian Indeed. film. Uh, which, again, we're not going to mention, but see that because it's fantastic. Because it's, it's a kind of Belgian charismatic that he appears in. Anyway, so, and it's disability, so. We're not going to so, do it. So, uh, but again, and it's he's, he's, an ageing shine takes pity on the child and welcomes into his own home. And, and so it's got Jean-Pierre Delussin, who I think is one of the contemporary great yep. uh, French actors, Definitely. as well as André Wilms. André Wilms. And, uh, and, and the woman as well. Uh, Cartier Dunant. Indeed. And so... <laughs> And it, who looks above his house? And again, at this point? And saying it, it, it's set in Le Havre and it's in French, there's very little dialogue throughout the entire film. Not More than like, most. Well, <laughs> which ain't saying a lot. Say, exactly. <laughs> which much literally ain't saying a lot. Many charismatic <laughs> films. Uh, and, so, uh, and, and so again, and, and, and again, the sets are often constructed sets. Uh, which are a bit cardboard and, and whatever, which again is just the, the beauty of his filmmaking, as well as La Havre, which is which is an amazing, beautiful, Captures it beautifully. port city, uh, full of working class people. Uh, it's changing nowadays, like most ports are with their their mouths and all that kind of crap. So, and, and it's basically about the relationship about refugees to some extent, which leads us nicely on to the next bit. But it's about humanity yeah and again that's what he captures so well uh, and just that all people are equal and ordinary and worthwhile and just beautiful and that's what he captures in this and it is it well i think it was my best film of 2011 and, and it's got to be up as one of the best films of the decade it's just too nice for me <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing for me to really get my teeth into. Uh, you know, I, the performances are outstanding for me. I, yeah, I completely agree with about, about JPD and Andre is Andre, great. But it, it is just a little bit too nice. 
and a bit twee. And, and, and that is a really bad thing to say about Kuzmaki because he isn't in any way. But this is just a bit twee. I don't know whether some of that is because of the... Because he also uses the same director of photography for most of his films. Uh, I just wonder whether it, w- it was his fault, essentially, because it's it, it captures Le Havre at his best. And I suppose what I'm after is capturing it at his cinematographer, I should say. Capturing kind of places at their worst. That's what I'm used to watching with Kuzmaki. He captures the cl- middle-class people, underclass, working class, Finnish music, Western East music. British people, French people, he's always capturing their people at their worst. And here he's capturing it at their best. And that's an adjustment that I'm not quite ready to make yet because it doesn't quite feel charismatic-like to me. It's charismatic in the sense of the purely the technical side of the film. It's not very long. It's sharp editing. There's very little dialogue, of which I've got a point to back about in a minute, which is quite interesting. Full of great performances. There's humour in there. But this has got a real, real kind of lack of bite that I, I personally felt disappointed with watch, re-watching it again. And, and in fact, I forgot about it because you, you do forget when you haven't seen a film for, for about three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to be too down on it. For all I know, it's, it's, it's still a very good film. But personally, for me, it doesn't grab me as much as the other ones did. But, you know, clearly, uh, that's, to, not, that's me, not an issue. To me, the difference is, and I think it captures... It's more about all of his previous films are about how life imposes itself on you. Yeah. The kind of class, yeah. wealth, lack of wealth imposes it upon you and and you then just survive. And this is a different one. And I, I agree, it is different and it does have that. But I think it, it's encapsulated in, in the Jean-Pierre Derussian who plays the policeman, who, who plays a decent human being. Yeah working in a different situation. And the point he's making here, for me, is that actually you make a decision to be nice or unpleasant. You can be a good person or a bad person, but it's your choice. Whereas all the previous thing about is life has imposed itself on you. But now, you know, we're all fairly affluent, even if you're fairly poor, and I know that's a very, you know, glib thing to say, but to some extent, you know... it, it does need unpacking, um, but just take that as a given. But actually, fundamentally, a lot of us now can choose what we are in the sense of either a decent human being or not. Mm-hmm. And I think this captures that quite well as a kind of decision process to either help or not help. And and I think that's why this is such a beautiful film. So moving on, final points really as we, as we round off is what's coming out next. And funny that you, we've just talked about La Havre and what, what that does essentially for immigrants. Well, the, the next logical step, therefore, would be to make a film about refugees because that's happening now. It's happened over the last few months of the podcast and he will, will, he will be releasing that to us all in 2017. We don't know anything about it. I would guess that Carter Uton is going to be in it. <laughs> Who knows if Andre Wilms will be in it. <laughs> We don't, but actually, that's the point. We don't know if it's a Finnish thing, a French thing. The, it, the Finnish title is Pakalainen, but again, we don't know whether it's therefore going to automatically be a Finnish film. We, we can't say anything else about it, Paul. Apart from that, it will be happening, and it's going to be a great event. We're going to be going, we're going to be heading down to the Art House Cinema to see it. Um, but that's all we can say about his future. Really. What is going to be it? Refugee 2017, and we, we're going to do it. Absolutely, we are going to do it. Of course. One final, final thing before we close off. 
we have watched every, sorry, we have revisited every Kurosaki movie. A lot of people haven't got time to sit there like we have and watch them all, Paul. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't, but you know, we did anyway. So to that end, Paul, if I was to get you, if I was to get a handful of films from you that for you capture the essence of the man that you know people would enjoy and therefore would have, would make time to watch the others, which ones would you say and why? Bearing in mind that the Harvard <laughs> is, is obviously one that you've just yep. talked about. Well, I would say Lennon Greg Cowboys go, go uh, Lennon Greg Cowboys, just, just take them as a couple, Lennon Greg Cowboys, any of them, because I think it captures that kind of, uh, yep. the finishedness of it. Yeah. Uh, and that, what we spoke about earlier. And then perhaps The Match Factory Girl and a high, I Hired a Contract Killer. Two very similar but different films. Uh, one in English, one isn't in English. Followed by, in a way, The Last Three. And I think if you were pushed to only watch three, I'd say watch The Last Three. Uh, the Man Without Pass, Lights in the Dusk and Laugh. Because in a way, he knows what he's doing by that point. He's perfected his ideas his principles, his values, his technique, and they capture pretty much all of what's in the other films. And so I'd say The Man Without a Past, Lights in the Dusk, and La Havre. And La Havre is, for me, the best of them all. But uh, but The Man Without a Past is, is a masterpiece as well. Indeed. Well, for me, I, I've now it down to a key six, and they've all got something slightly different to offer. Mm. For comedy, you've got to go for Calamari Union. Mm. It's a, his funniest film by a street. Mm. So that, if, if you want to laugh about it, if you, want, if, you, if you want to have a smile on your face, and believe me, some of these films won't give you that. Most of them won't. <laughs> then please, by all means, you've got to go with Calamari Union. For films about Finland, just about Finland, in Finland, about Finland, probably the most balanced and successful one for me, Clouds. Because it captures the, the, the working class is striving to do better, setting up the business, the trouble of setting up business, just everyday life, drinking, yep. which we've seen, like, oh, we've seen in every, bloody hell, in every Kurosaki film, the rock and roll element, it's clouds. For accessibility, there's two that stand out, and I think you know which two they are. I would go with, still with Man Without a Past. It won, it deserved to win, and it's just got that little bit more of Finland in it that I would want to see and I would recommend for people. For films outside of Finland, you've got uh, got two or three. I would go for La Via de Boheme because it captures France so beautifully. It's an incredibly artistic piece, which you can't say he has done too many of. So La Via de Boheme for that. This is a bit of a, a generic thing to squeeze in. For a tribute to cinema, because <laughs> all of his films are, you know, they all, whatever, they all are, Fellini or whatever. For me, for a pure direct attack, but in a loving way, as a tribute to cinema, it's got to be you half for me. The silent movie starring Andre Wilms where everyone dies, and is, but there's a sort of happy ending at the end. Yeah. Silent movie. This is how, and, and the, the, the irony about this is that it was actually one of his most recent films, you half. I know you love the artist. I'm going to disappoint you here, Paul. You Heart is such a better thing for that kind of thing. Mm. If you want to see a silent movie done in modern day that that doesn't mock it, that just well mocks it slightly, but in a, in a in a in a sympathetic way, You Heart is the one for that. And it's also Andre Williams' best film for me. And the final category, I'd say, as a pure auteur of cinema, it has got to be the Match Factory Girl. It has got to be. It's a great film. Because it, 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 it just, as you said, you've, when you saw it, 
it inspired you to watch all the others. Yeah. And how you know this this actually I'm thinking about it probably the second one that I ever watched. The Oscar win got me the you know the, the foot in the door so to speak. Mm. But I then went straight back and thought, well, let's have a look. The first box set I got of his, the first one at the top was the Match Factory Girl. And even having seen all of these once again, there is nothing like the Match Factory Girl. There are better, there are worse, but the Match Factory Girl is totally original. And if he likes it, that's good enough for me. Heat Bitches is back. <laughs> in a, in the other side of hope, it's called. In this one, we follow a parallel narrative as a Syrian refugee arrives in Finland looking for his sister. With a businessman who buys a struggling restaurant and tries to turn it around. Alex, Curry's films, for me, are a warm, snuggly, big, fat, motherfucking kiss on the lips, mate. If, if people don't know anything about Curry's or even if you do, then please listen to our dedica- dedicated podcast about him. In that one, at uh, the back end of it, I kind of reveal that I really wasn't that impressed with uh, his last film, uh, La Havre. But one, conversely, one of my favourites in his career was a, a restaurateur film called Floating Clouds. And fully enough, The Other Side of Hope is actually an amalgamation between La Havre and Floating Clouds. We've got the refugee thing and we've got the restaurant management stuff. And for me, Alex, it's absolutely terrific. It's as per the Kurismaki trades that I've explained so many times before, so therefore I don't need to, but I will have to anyway. You know, a lack of dialogue, though actually a fair bit more than usual, mostly because of one long speech in Arabic, <laughs> to which, to which Kurismaki basically said, are you done? <laughs> that's, that's what one speech in Arabic has got more dialogue than any of his other films. Uh, but anyway, lots of uh, droll, deadpan humour. You've got rock and roll music. And of course... Carti Utenen, although she's only in it very, very briefly, but you can't have a Kurismaki film without Carti Utenen in it. I love the fact that all the actors, even the foreign ones, have, apart from the one long Arabic speech, they've picked up all the acting attributes required for a Kurismaki film, especially our Finnish lead this time, Sakari Kuzmanen, who has been in a whole bunch of them before, including my absolute favourite of all time, Kalamari Union, so that he knows how to do a lead in a Kurismaki film and he pulls it off absolutely brilliantly. He's the restaurant owner. It's unquestionably quintessentially Finnish. If you know it, if you know Finnish cinema, if you know Finland, then this film will be extremely comfortable for you. You know exactly what you're going to get. I'm not sure, Alex, there's anything here to convert Aki atheists, shall we say. Uh, but frankly, if there are any of you out there, then that's your problem. Because it's such an honour to be in his camp, in his team. I have no problems being unashamedly biased here, just like I was unashamedly biased against the Scorsese film. This will inevitably end up on the uh, film of the year list because, Alex, it's Curry's Mackey, the one and only. Well, that was beautiful. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, um, I liked it. I liked it. I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I liked it. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, Aki atheist, as you, as you <laughs> but, I, but I, have, I have yet to see the light of the Lord in the simple sense that I, it's a bit of a blind spot for me. I've not seen, I'm not sure I've seen any. I think I saw La Havre, but I feel like I don't remember it at all. Mm. So, um, and I was thinking about it coming up to this. I think I'm, I think I might have th- tricked myself into thinking I've seen La Havre um, and thus have not. <laughs> so I came at this with quite a fresh perspective. So, so when you're saying things like uh, it's quintessentially Finnish and you'll know exactly what you get. I think the one thing that stopped me fully embracing this movie is it took me about 45 minutes to, <laughs> to really get yeah. click into what it was. Absolutely. In the, 
in the I love the tonal mismatch of these sort of two storylines. One of them is sort of a pretty um, social realist um, crime uh, thriller uh, refugee drama, and the other is this sort of almost sort of you know British sitcom esque uh, <laughs> mishmash of people trying to run a restaurant. Uh, in, in a sort of Motley Crue kind of way, almost like a sort of Ealing comedy or something. Um, and it sort of bangs the two together, both sort of formally, because their two things um, operate differently. And then when the two storylines collide, sort of there's this very odd tonal thing. And I did spend about half the film going, what is this? Like, what is it? And I've moaned on this podcast before about films that I that I find tonally inconsistent, but 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 I didn't mind it this time. In fact, I quite I, I warmed to the tonal inconsistency, and and I and I found it uh, charming and and odd yeah. and 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 unique in that respect. So so I, you know I, I'm willing I'm willing to uh, embrace this fully, but I think I think I probably need another couple of goes at it, and and to come at it with that back catalogue of goodwill yeah. and knowledge that you are clearly infused about. Uh, so, so I guess my note of caution would be for uh, charismatic, uh, charismatic newbies, uh, it, it takes a while to work its magic um, and perhaps therefore it doesn't work its magic quite as deeply. But, uh, but, uh, but I liked it a lot, you know. Well, I mean, I mean in a way, I'm not going to say much more and just ask you a bunch more questions because, I mean, you've got, you've got it spot on. There, there is nothing, if you've never seen a charismatic film before and you're going into it like this... I, I'm, I'm actually quite pleasantly surprised you haven't said it's the worst thing you've ever seen because <laughs> it, it does absolutely nothing conventionally. I mean, let's just—I mean, just the the opening scene itself is absolutely stonewall, cold, charismatic. You know, basically, there's a divorce that happens, uh, and you, you just introduced to these random people. There's a divorce. A ring is put. Uh, sorry, a cigarette is put out in a cactus plant. A ring is put on a table, and no no dialogue is said at all. And yet, you know everything you need to know in a film. You know, you know about this guy who's obviously he's dressed in a suit, so you know that he works. You know the woman who's dressed in a more casual, and she's obviously a drug user. You can see that on the table as well. So you know why he's leaving it. You know that he's obviously he's the one that's providing all the money for this. So in so little, you learn so much, and that is essentially Finland in a nutshell. Really, it is so much kind of in-your-face kind of blatant anti-commercialism, and yet at the same time. You know, there's a man in a suit. He's going to go buy a restaurant. He's going to go and have a poker game and kind of get his money that way. It's just, it's just a great, great lot of confusion. And you've picked up that quite nicely as well. So where, where do I recommend you go? Well, you've also got kind of, again, as I said, floating clouds is more restaurant stuff. You've got, I mean, there's so much variety, and yet everything is exactly the same. So I don't know how how much you know the rock band The Fall. Like where every single album that comes out from Marky Smith is basically the same thing, and yet it's totally different. The mm. same with Kurismaki films. I mean, I, I can't even say where you'd start, really. You just have to kind of embrace it, go and watch some of them, listen to the podcast as well, yeah. where, me, where myself and former presenter Paul just go through the whole thing one by one. I mean, yeah, I mean, just... I, I'm, 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 again, I'm pleasantly surprised that you kind of were able to get on board if you've never seen one before. It's, uh, it is that unique to me. Well, well, unlike you, Theo, I'm extremely open-minded, so uh, it, sh- it shouldn't come as any surprise to you <laughs> that I'm willing yeah. to embrace cinema in all its forms. No, um, yeah, no, I, I think I think the tone took a while to click in. Once I got it, I got it, and I think I what I I got a sense of was this is this is an auteur's voice in the sort of classic sense of the word. Yes. So that idea that you know every film's the same, different. Well, that's that's the classic auteur, right? So um, so I'm I'm on board. I'm 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 excited to see more. Um, but I, but I did it did take me a while to warm to it. And but I but I take your point. And and the opening scene 
to go on from what you were saying, then cuts to sort of the alternative storyline where we get this amazing shot of a man sort of rising, almost sort of Apocalypse Now-esque out of the yes. <laughs> um, and sort of, you know, getting himself off this ship and just saying, shower. Um, and I think that's the first line of dialogue after about five minutes. And again, you know exactly where you are with the movie and it's, it does it completely through visuals. Uh, it's, a, it's a craftsman at work in the best sense of the word. And there's definitely a sense of what's going on here. I think... I, I struggle to penetrate its tone to try and work out what it's trying to say. And I think that might be where I need another go at it to really understand yeah. how much I liked or not liked the film. It seems like a film that wants to say quite a lot about current refugee issues. I mean, it's so pertinent. It's dealing with Syria, it's dealing with uh, the European crisis, um, but I don't know what it's trying to say. Um, and I think the reason is, is I spent most of my time wondering what tone, where we're going next. Yeah, I, th I think it, it's it's more it's it's essentially Finland's view on it really, and, and and as you can see, they've got the far right who kind of end up be beating up this Syrian refugee at one point or trying to, and then he, and then he, you also then see, I don't know if you want to call the far left who then come in and kind of rescue him from it, uh, and and basically, the the help to hide and that kind of thing. So he, he's basically come out and said that uh, he believes a lot more European countries should should do more. And uh, from his own point, that that's his kind of point of view, obviously, uh, and that kind of comes in the film. Yeah, it's not it's not really about some sort of really deep kind of view on it. I, I love the way you, you kind of brought up the British thing, by the way, because uh, I don't know whether you knew this, Alex, but the Finns absolutely love Doc Martin. <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely enormous in Finland, and Kuzmaki himself has come out and said that he to kind of relax and things. He kind of chills out with casualty. So there is this, and of course, then you've got the rock and roll music from the West. Yeah. So when you are Finland uh, and you kind of you kind of have to be best friends with Russia, even though you're petrified of them and, you know, Russia's kind of stolen all your assets over the last 25 years, uh, you kind of seek, you go towards the, the much further West mm. to kind of, as a dream, as a kind of a thing to kind of look on, to live by. And you can't get more quaint than Doc Martin. And you can't get, <laughs> you can't get more kind of, you know, vervy and exciting than, than American rock and roll, right? So that's what Finland's about. And even in this film, you've got all of that stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's thoroughly recommended. Uh, not for, I mean, people should watch it anyway, but I think uh, there are some there are some not-so-good ones that are some great ones, but as I said, Kurismaki is Kurismaki. And uh, sadly, I might say sadly, he's hinted that this might be his last film because he likes to do things in a certain way and that the studios are kind of closing down one by one. Uh, and he says he actually wants to start living life a bit, a bit more because, you know, he's 65 plus, whatever he is. Mm -hmm. So as a way to go out, this is a great way to go out.